0: Good evening and welcome to the digital campus of New UPC, or welcome back if this isn't your first time here. But uh, I would like to open tonight with a word of prayer. Let's uh, just ask God to be with us in our presence as we watch this video and help us to open our ears and learn what he has for us tonight. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your spirit and we thank you for your presence that's here with every single one of us. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you're a God of partying and you're a God of playing and you're a God of Not just struggle and tribulation, but also a God of joy, a God of celebration. God, help me as I deliver this message tonight, and help those who are listening. Help those who have ears uh, to hear. Let them hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, Tonight, I am going to be talking about the, very um, applicable to us, the Festival of Pentecost. Uh, now, the festival of Pentecost, or, uh, as it was known in the Old Testament, the festival of weeks, or the festival of reaping, or the day of the first fruits, it was a biblical festival found in the Old Testament, uh, in with all of the other, um, Mosaic law and, uh, you know, sanctions and instructions and stuff in the Old Testament that Moses gave to the children of Israel. It's found in all of those instructions, and it was, uh, to take place 50 days after the Passover. Now, um... This festival, the point of it, was that it was at the time of harvest. It was when the first harvest of the year was beginning. And the entire point of this festival was that you were to bring some of the produce that you took and some of the produce that you had gathered from your crops and fields and stuff this year, and you were to bring a first portion of it to God. And the entire point of it was uh, that this harvest that you now have, the first of it is going directly to God. And when we were in the teaching, teaching team meeting about this uh, we, we discussed this and I was the one who brought up the festival of Pentecost and I was the one who brought up the idea of maybe looking at it as in like it was uh, in the Old Testament for the purpose of the first harvest and the first fruits of uh, a bountiful reaping and harvesting and obviously that has a direct, um, direct applicable uh, correlation with what happened on the day of Pentecost after Jesus' death and burial and resurrection and then ascendance where he poured out his spirit on Jerusalem. Because that was the first fruits of his spirit. That was the first fruits of the apostles' ministries and where the early church really started its launch and all of that. But as I started writing in my notes and started planning for the lesson, I felt, I felt drawn in a different direction. So, I just tell you that because that's a very good message. So, uh, that's it condensed for you. The biblical history of uh, Pentecost as a, as a festival directs um, or has a direct correlation to the events that happened on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Because it was about first fruits and the, the occurrences in Acts chapter 2 were a first fruit of the harvest that's still going on now today. We're still harvesting, we're still reaping, we're still... Um, sowing seeds and gathering that which we have not planted for the kingdom of God. But um, today I want to focus on another aspect of how we can kind of look at these two instances of the festival of Pentecost in the Old Testament and in Acts chapter 2. Um, uh, I kind of noticed a relationship between this principle of the festival of Pentecost, which is to bring the first fruits of your labor to God. And what happened in Genesis with Cain and Abel. Um, Specifically Abel, because we all know that Cain didn't do so well. Um, But Abel, he brought a satisfactory sacrifice to God. He brought the first fruits of his harvest to God. And he offered them up as a sacrifice to God. And he did this not because anybody had told him to. He did this, or at least not that we can see. We, We just see... That they started doing this. They started sacrificing these first fruits and this portion of their harvest to God. And as it this tradition continued through tithing and through the festival of Pentecost and through all the other sacrificial offerings uh, throughout the Old Testament, the entire point of this was not for God. God didn't need a bunch of slaughtered cows and lambs because he was hungry and so he needed like a barbecue up in heaven. He didn't need this sacrificial uh, first of the harvest offering because he was hungry and needed some wheat to make bread. No, the entire point of these festivals was to uh, stand as a kind of uh, as a kind of reference point for the Israelites, that they could uh, do this every year and remember the point of why they're there. They're there because God has provided for them. They're there solely because God is there and touching their lives, touching their work. And so because of that, they're going to give a portion of that back to him. So that it's not that you then give God his meal for the day and then he's happy. No, it's for us. It's for our human flesh so that we sacrifice that which we have worked so hard for and We give it back to God because it came from God in the first place So just remember that uh, moving forward with the narration of Acts chapter 2 just remember that the events behind the festival of Pentecost were not fo- solely for our human purposes and for our very um, our an outward look it was for our benefit inwardly and for our minds and spirits that we remember what happened with God. So, fast forward several centuries, and uh, Jesus has come as the incarnate uh, Son of God, or God himself, as a human, (laughs) Uh, correcting a little bit of a bungle that Sister Leela did a couple weeks ago. I'll throw her under the bus. She said um, he was was half man, half God. Well, no, he was 100% man, 100% God. And uh, he was both at the same time. And of course, that doesn't mathematically work, (laughs) but it's how he did it. So, um, but Jesus has come, he's died, he's risen again, and he's ascended. And he's told his disciples, hey, go to Jerusalem and wait for me. And so the disciples are like, oh, cool. Okay. So they all head off to Jerusalem. And then they're there, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And they're still waiting and then in acts chapter 2 verse 1 it says when the day of pentecost was fully come they were all with one accord in one place and then uh and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them can you imagine how crazy that would be you're just sitting there and honestly like if i were the disciples I probably wouldn't be, like, travailing and praying for Jesus to be coming back. They've been waiting days at this point. They're probably sitting there twiddling their thumbs. They're probably playing rock, paper, scissors. Maybe somebody broke out a a game of Parcheesi or something. They're they're probably not, like, fasting and praying and travailing and pushing through and interceding. They're probably just sitting there wondering, Dear Lord, when is this dude going to be coming back? And so suddenly, they're just there... And they're sitting there and suddenly there's a sound like a rushing mighty wind that fills up the entire house. And then to top it all off, they have little tongues of fire above their head like that that would wig me out. And then get this verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. That's insane. You're just sitting there. Suddenly you have a little flame dancing over your head. And then you start speaking in another language. In another language that you yourself do not speak. You don't know what you're saying. And suddenly the Holy Spirit of God comes inside of you. You—you you I'm sure the disciples knew this because they knew Jesus firsthand. The Spirit of God was inside of them. He wasn't just with them. He wasn't around them. He was inside of them. He, he penetrated their very being and resided and dwelt in them. That's insane. And then on top of that, they start babbling like fools in other languages. Now for a bit of historical context on the festival of Pentecost. The festival of Pentecost is still happening at this point in history when the disciples are there in the upper room in Jerusalem. And so foreigners have come from all over to celebrate this festival, uh, either foreigners who were maybe practicing Jews, and so they were coming to like respect the Jewish holiday and festival and trying to follow the law of God, or maybe there were foreigners who were there on like, I don't know, a tourist trip, and they were there to see uh, the Jews and their festival, or maybe they were merchants there to buy from the sacrifices that were being offered up. But it it tells us that there were there were foreigners from all kinds of places, uh, especially in Acts 2 verses 9 and 11, the section that goes, you know, Phrygia and in Egypt and gives off this long list of locations that is that is surely by no means exhaustive. It's to show you that there's a ton of people there in Jerusalem from all different kinds of places in the world. And these people, uh, the these visitors in Jerusalem, now suddenly hear this... <laughs> uproarious like happening in this upper room and crazier than that they can understand what's being said somebody from egypt would not necessarily have spoken hebrew and they certainly wouldn't be expecting you know uh these bumpkins from galilee to be speaking egyptian and so all of these people gather around and some are saying oh they're just drunk and uh, others are saying like oh wow we can understand what they're saying and they're testifying about the great works of God in our own languages, and so they they try to make sense of this by arguing amongst themselves. And then Peter stands up and he gives his his message, his delivery of the gospel, uh, his first sermon to the public. He declares that Jesus is the Christ. He uses um, uh, he uses scripture from the Old Testament to back up his statements and to prove to the Jewish audience there that it, that. This is the real thing. The Messiah has come and he died and he rose again and you killed him. You killed him so that he could forgive your sins. And at this point, all the Jews are probably like shaking in their boots because they just realized they killed the Messiah. And so Acts 2 verse 37, they say, oh no, oh men and brethren, what can we do? And they're trying to figure out how they can be saved. And so Peter says to them, uh Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Incredible. And then, it goes on to say, uh afterwards, that after that, they continued, like, ministering and uh, converting people, and over three, not over three thousand, there were, the Bible says, there were three thousand people who were baptized that day. Now let's back up for a little more historical context. The temple in Jerusalem had three sections or three divisions. There was the Holy of Holies inside, which was where the Spirit of God had been dwelling. It wasn't dwelling there anymore because the veil ripped when Jesus died on the cross. And so it, the Spirit of God wasn't dwelling there in the Shekinah presence anymore. But that's where the Holy of Holies was. And then there was um, the section outside of that, which was... Uh, you know, uh, where I believe it was where the Jews could like enter and like do their business right outside the Shekinah presence and the Holy of Holies. And then past even that, there was the outer court. And the outer court was where all the foreigners could be. But the problem was, that's the only place they could be. So, whereas the other Jews could, uh, like, go near the Holy of Holies, they could go near the Shekinah presence, they could they could watch what was happening and what was going on, they could watch the proceedings, the foreigners couldn't enter there. The, the archaeologists have discovered a, a um, inscription, actually, from uh, the temple in Jerusalem, Herod's temple in Jerusalem, and the inscription basically says, you foreigners can't come in here if you come in here, you are admitting to your own death. Because if you come in here, we will kill you. So the foreigners who are there, if they're practicing Jews, they can't get into the temple. They can't see the proceedings of this festival, that they're there possibly observing themselves. Like, not observing like watching and going on, but observing as in, they're following this, this festival. And so, they can't get close to God. Do you realize how sad that is that you you're there, you're you're possibly loyal to the Jewish God, you're trying to serve him and you're there and you just you just can't touch him. You just can't see just a little bit of the God that you're trying to serve. That's that's a pretty bleak thought. But then maybe imagine There's an Egyptian there, and he's standing outside the area, and he's looking inside, wistfully, (sighs) another year, another time I can't go inside the temple. And he's walking again, and and he's walking away, and he's walking past this tall building with a second floor, and then suddenly... (laughs) And then he looks up, everybody else looks up around him as well. And suddenly there are these wild men emerging from a building, speaking in other tongues. And everybody's going, "Ah, they're just drunk. But this Egyptian, he hears one of the guys speaking in Egyptian. He hears him speaking about this, this man, this glorious God who has come and he saved us from our sins. He hears this in his own language. But he he knows the look of Egyptians. He knows that that dude speaking isn't an Egyptian. So he goes, how in the world is he speaking Egyptian? And then that guy gets up and he starts speaking Hebrew. And he starts talking about the Messiah and about Jewish scripture. And he starts talking about how this can be available to you. He's talking about that God came down here to save all sins. uh, Not all sins. To save all people from their sins. He's not talking about God came down here to save the Jews. No. In Acts 2 verse 38, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. All sins. All sin. Peter is telling them that God is there for them. And then the, the, the crowd asks, what can I do? And Peter says, repent. And be baptized and he gives them instructions on how to be saved and suddenly this egyptian is going up to this man and saying i i want to be baptized i want to be saved by this great god and so peter goes okay buddy he finds a body of water he dunks him and then the egyptian goes along his merry little way and doesn't tell anybody about anything at all you really think that's what happened you really think that the the 12 disciples managed to cover enough ground to baptize 3000 people in one day. I don't I don't believe that. I think and this is this is not in the Bible by the way. So this is this is uh, you know the book of Caleb verse 1, okay? So this is this is not specifically in the Bible, but I can only imagine that that Egyptian was thrilled. And imagine if he had received the Holy Ghost as well. He came up from the water, and he received the Holy Spirit, and he began speaking in other tongues. And he didn't understand what he was saying, but he felt amazing, and he felt this presence, and this comfort, and this joy. Suddenly, he's probably out in the market, out near the temple commons, looking for other Egyptians going, oh my God, guys, come here, come here. The most amazing thing has happened. Let me take you to this dude. He's telling us about God. And he's telling us about, oh, he filled me with, oh, I have this spirit inside of me. This is amazing. You guys need to come and see this. And so he brings his friends and then Peter baptizes them. And then maybe they receive the Holy Ghost. And suddenly we just have an evangelism rally going on. They're probably handing out tracts like, "Come here, receive the Holy Spirit." Yeah, we hope to see you there. Bye. No, it's probably not that extreme, but the the excitement would have been astounding. You're you're suddenly you're there, prepared for a day possibly of sadness. You you might already be expecting walking away from this event being melancholy and disappointed because you weren't able to to enter the temple, to see what was going on with this God. And then suddenly, there you are. And you're filled with his spirit. You're filled with the spirit of this God, who you didn't even think that you would be able to see by proxy of the priest who was entering into the Shekinah presence and actually being with God. Now that God is living inside of you. And you can speak in other tongues. That's amazing. That's astounding. That's something to be excited for. That's something to tell everybody about. That, that, they would not have been able to shut up about that. That's astounding. Now what do we do? Okay, Buckle up, everybody, because it's, it's about to get real, okay? What do we do? I remember when I first received the Holy Ghost, I was a little kid. I honestly don't, because I had wanted to receive the Holy Ghost. I wanted to to be filled with the Holy Spirit of God, because I understood that he, he was Jesus, and he had come for me, and saved me from my sins, and that to receive his Holy Spirit was to be an outward manifestation of me having received his, well, uh, speaking in tongues was an outward manifestation of, of me receiving his spirit, and so I was just at a kid's rally, or a kid's evangelism thingy at our church, and I went up, and I followed the uh, kids' missionaries' instructions, and I went up, I closed my eyes, I lifted my head, I raised my arms, and I started to pray. And honestly, I don't remember much more than that. There wasn't much of a revelatory moment of, boom, lightning, lasers go off, and holy spirit. No, it was... I honestly just remember kind of like waking up from a trance out of the prayer and realizing, okay, I got it. This is it. This is great. But then after that, I... It, it became less of a big deal. I feel like a lot of us, a lot of us, uh, well, yeah, a lot of us do the exact same thing. We receive the Holy Spirit of God and we're so excited but the deal is, us Pentecostals, we know that that's what's going to happen. We know that that's what's supposed to happen. And so when it does happen, maybe we're just kind of like, yes! All right, we can check that one off our salvation plan. I got the Holy Ghost. Whoopee! Time to get baptized. But do we not? Do we not understand how amazing that is? God himself abiding in us, with us. He's in our body. He's in our soul. He's there with us day to day. When we when we get out of bed in the morning, when we brush our teeth, when we take a leak. Yes, I went there. He's there all the time. He's with us through the good times. He's with us through the bad times. He's with us when we're lonely. He's with us when we're not lonely. When we're with our family and friends. He's there in the midst of that. This is amazing stuff here. And we just kind of normalize it. And it should be normalized to some extent. To, but not to, the, not to the point where we forget what we have. This is where I'm going to draw in the Old Testament. Uh, bit of. Pentecost that I was talking about earlier. It's not about the sacrifice and that you're like burning up the wheat or that you're burning up a calf. It's not about the act of bringing your first fruits of harvest. It's about what it means. It's about what it's a sign of. When you bring those first fruits to God, it's a sign that I love you, Lord. It's a sign that you have allowed my crops to prosper. It's a sign that because of you, I have safety and I have provision. It's a sign and an outward manifestation of something much bigger. The same thing with speaking in tongues. When when we're praying somebody through the Holy Ghost, what are we focusing on? What are we telling them? What What are we yelling at them to do? It's usually something along the lines of, hold on, or just let go, or look up. Or, come on, bow down, get on your knees! The, the, the silliness that we oftentimes go into. But it's also very, very focused on the act of glossolalia. The the act of speaking an unknown tongue. It's on the tip of your tongue. Come on, come on, just let it come out. Just just let God do what he will with your tongue. Why, Why don't we focus instead a little bit more... On what's about to happen to them. God said, you really think that the act of receiving the Holy Ghost is just God coming down to earth, grabbing somebody's tongue, and then going, la, 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 la. it's so much deeper than that. He enters our very soul. He is with us. He's, he's with us forever after that point. And we kind of just trivialize it to Did you start speaking in a language that you didn't understand? Did you start talking funny? How about when we pray through with people? We say, now, listen here. God loves you. God has forgiven all of your sins. You you don't even need to accept his forgiveness. Well, you do need to accept his forgiveness. Please, if you're listening, please accept the forgiveness of Jesus in your life. But he has already forgiven you. All you have to do is accept it. You don't have to do anything to earn his forgiveness. You just need to accept it. And then do you know what will happen? You're going to receive the spirit of God. He's not just going to be around you. He's not just going to be working through that preacher over there. He's not just going to be in my hands touching you. He's going to be in you. He's going to be inside of you, inside of your heart, inside of your soul. He's going to be living with you. He's going to be your God. He's going to be your God. Let go. Let him touch your tongue. Come on. Are you, Do you understand what you're saying? Got to listen a little bit closer. Are they speaking in other tongues yet? Oh, come on. Just speak in tongues. Let's... Not confuse the glory and the power of Pentecost with a waggling tongue. Of course, that's important because that is the evidence in every single uh, instance of uh, of glossolalia in the New Testament. It happens under the occurrence of having received the Holy Spirit. There's not an instance where uh, where there's, uh, in, the, in the book of Acts, there's not an instance of somebody uh, starting to speak in tongues for any other reason than that they've received the Holy Spirit. So we understand that the speaking in tongues is a manifestation and a, a sign that they have received the Holy Spirit. But that's, when, when, you're, when you're a doctor and you're looking at a patient and you notice that they have a very large bump on their head, do you go and give them an x-ray scan to focus on the bigger problem and the bigger cause underneath? Or do you just say, oh, here, uh, wear, wear this beanie. That'll cover the bump. That's, that, that's what we need to focus on, is the symptom and the outward manifestation. No! You don't focus on the outward symptom that shows something bigger. You focus on the bigger. You go to the bigger. And you look at what is causing the outward manifestation. Now, am I am I saying, oh, we, we don't need to speak in tongues? No, of course not. Am I saying, oh well, the this whole Pentecostal thing, it's just it's just trivial. It's just about receiving God in into your heart. No. By no means. But I am saying. Let's try and remember what it means, what it means to be Pentecostal, what it means to have the Spirit of God living inside of you, to be able to say that same God who was touching those people from Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene, strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, as they heard them speak in other tongues, about the wonderful things that God did. That same God is living inside of you right now at this very moment. He is, he is working inside of you. He's making you a better person. He's giving you comfort. He's touching your life. He's with you. It's, it's astounding. It's amazing. I don't want to target my church, but I feel, I feel led at the moment. I remember Pentecost Sundays at our church. And what happens on those Pentecost Sundays? I don't I don't remember much happening. And I can't I can't judge anybody for it. I'm not saying, oh church, you better you better start praising more on Pentecost Sundays, because I did the exact same thing. It's a problem that we all have. We trivialize this this amazing thing. We need to remember that this this sign is a reason for a party. There we go. I'm tying in the week's theme. It's a it's a Pentecost party. We're speaking in tongues because God is in us, and that's a reason to be absolutely pumped up. That's a reason to when when we go out on Monday morning and our co-workers go, "Well, how was your weekend?" We don't go, "Oh, I was fine." I went to church. No, we go, oh, let me tell you, I went to church. I I felt the presence of God. He's moving in my life. He's touching my life. I know that I can see his hand. I can see him working. I can see him moving all the pieces because I know that he's inside of me. I know that he's with me. Do you want him in you? Now, am I saying to accost all of your co-workers and beat them over the head with X 2? No, I'm not saying that. Please don't do that. You will get very few converts doing that. But passion, excitement, joy, a party. Because we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords living inside of us. Lord Jesus, thank you. I praise you right now in this place. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your sacrifice on the cross and your, your being risen from the dead. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your spirit that you sent down for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are a comforter. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you love the world so much that you would come down and you would live with us. You would be in us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. I got Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I'm excited. I didn't expect to be this excited by the end of the sermon. I thought that I would sermon, okay. Uh, I thought that I would be just ending this lesson. No, th- I'm excited, everybody. We we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords living inside of us. Oh, I'm excited. And I hope you're excited too. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to uh, to our digital campus broadcast tonight. And go out and be excited. Remember who you are. Remember what we have. Remember we have a reason to party. We can have our own little Pentecost party every single day. Amen. Amen. Well, you're dismissed. In Jesus' name. Good night, everybody. We'll see you. Well, not tomorrow, because tomorrow's a Monday. We'll see you Tuesday night. Bye.